I'm James Walker, and this is Real Talk, Real People. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. About three weeks ago, I moderated a roundtable discussion with some of our Connecticut state representatives, some people from New York, Consumer Reports, the Southern Connecticut Black Chamber of Commerce, a Yale professor and attorney. And it was all about the business tactics of the auto dealer industry. And here at Real Talk Real People, we actually did a podcast about a year ago on this problem, and it has become a serious issue. It is now in the courts where many people, where um, um, the federal government has filed anti-discrimination lawsuits against the auto dealer industry. So this is an important conversation. It deals with you and how you are being ripped off. Let's get right to it. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for our discussion, our roundtable discussion on the auto dealer industry, more specifically on their business tactics. There are those who believe these tactics are abusive and discriminatory and combined with the auto dealer industry's total financial control over every aspect of the car buying experience is adversely affecting consumers. My name is James Walker. I'm the host of the podcast, Real Talk, Real People, and I am your moderator for today's discussion. But before I introduce our distinguished panelists, let me take time to thank Deborah Cavanis and the, the Southern Connecticut Black Chamber of Commerce for sponsoring this event. And at the end of our 30-minute discussion, we will have a Q&A session. So for those of you who do have questions for us, we really would appreciate if you get those questions into the queue. Now, let me start introducing our panelists. Up first is Ian Ayers. He is a Yale professor and also an attorney. And it was his work that formed the basics for groundbreaking federal anti-discrimination lawsuits regarding car dealerships. Also, joining us are Connecticut State Representatives Christopher Rosario and Quentin Q. Williams. And we certainly wanna thank them for taking the time because the legislature is in session. And so these two guys are really busy. From New York, we welcome Ruhi Maker. She is the senior staff attorney with the Consumer Finance and Housing Unit at the Empire Justice Center. We're also welcoming Chuck Bell, who is the program director of Consumer Reports. And also Deborah Cavanis, who is having a hard time joining us, but she will be joining us shortly. We have a short amount of time, six people who want to get in, uh, who want to get in their thoughts. So we're going to go right to Ian for the first question. And Ian, my first question to you. Based on the data that you have studied during your career, can you describe the car buying experiences of an African American? versus a white person. Also, can you tell us when those points of the car buying process start in discrimination? Or where, the, I should say, where the discrimination starts in that car buying experience? 
Uh, thank you uh, for having me. Uh, my work on racial discrimination at new car dealerships began way back in 1991 when I ran a field experiment sending testers following an identical bargaining script to negotiate to buy cars at more than 200 dealerships in greater Chicago. In an article that was published by a very young Barack Obama when he was president of Harvard Law Review, I found that dealerships' final offers to black testers were systematically higher with markups that were two and three times the average markups offered to white testers. Similar uh, racial disparities have been found in subsequent studies looking at the actual prices paid on millions of car sales. Uh, I've also served as an expert witness in several lawsuits against major auto lenders, including GMAC and Ford Motor Credit, uh, analyzing more than 3 million car loans. I found that dealerships' profits on loans to Black and Hispanic borrowers were on average more than twice the dealership profits on loans made to white car bar borrowers. Uh, moreover, African-American and Hispanic borrowers disproportionately paid dealership profits uh, of more than $1,000 on their car loans. For example, African-Americans were only 9% of GMAC customers, but they were 19% of those customers paying GMAC more than $1,000 uh, profits on their car loans. Uh, the advent of internet sales and better information about dealership cost of new cars has reduced somewhat the racial disparities in front-end pricing, the price you pay uh, for a new car. But many dealerships today continue to make systematically excessive profits for minority buyers on loans, on accessories and add-ons, and on trade-in prices. Uh, this is happening in New York right now. In 2020, Bronx Honda's general manager told salespeople to target African-American and Hispanic customers with higher interest rate markups and transaction fees. Last year, New York's Department of Financial Services determined that upstate dealers in several areas were charging minorities more in interest rate markups than similarly creditworthy white customers. So we have the data and regulatory means to reduce these disparities. Uh, in 2013, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau offered guidance on how dealerships could analyze their sales data to make sure they were complying with our civil rights law. But the Bureau's efforts have been rebuffed by Congress in 2018 at the behest of the, the dealership lobby. And so, there are several practical things that can be done. We can reinstate the CFPB guidance. We can cap interest rate markups on car loans and warn borrowers when they're entering into a high cost loan. Uh, we can extend the Humda uh, uh, race reporting requirements to car loans. And finally, uh, we should make it easier for no haggle dealerships to compete. Uh, Tesla's uh, stock value market cap is uh, larger than uh, Ford, but consumers in Connecticut have to travel to New York to pick up a Tesla if they want to buy it, and something's wrong there. Thank you. Yeah, that does sound like something is definitely wrong. Deborah, thank you so much. I see you finally got in here. And my next question is for you. I'm sorry, I know you just joined, but my next question is for you. And I, I want to ask you, what kind of practices does the auto industry use? 
that is so um, that is uh, harming African American consumers. Deborah, Deborah, your your audio is off. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Do you need me to repeat the question? No, that's fine. I heard it this morning. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this very important discussion. And I'd like to share an experience that I had and the reason why I'm so passionate about supporting this bill. I am a person who experienced firsthand the discriminatory practices at a local car dealership in Fairfield County. So this is really a personal topic for me. I remember going to the car dealership with all good intentions of purchasing a car. I had good credit and a substantial amount of money because I had been saving for some time. My intent was to purchase a car, get a two-year loan, and obviously pay it off so that I wouldn't have such the high, pay the high interest rates. Being a woman and being a woman of color, I'm sure that attributed to the salesman aggressive negotiating style and tactics, which actually I found kind of amusing. When he, when he didn't get the reaction that he wanted, that's when the shenanigans started. He uh, took my file, uh, he was going back and forth, talking to other sales reps, and um, he came back into the office and he said, you know, you seem like a really nice person and I really want to help you, you know, trying to engage me in for, uh, of another word, uh, be friendly or to make it appear that he's really doing something special for me. Um, and then the other sales reps came into the office and acted like they were so excited for me. And this was a, he had done something really special and he had put together this really good deal. So he told me what was interesting. He says, we don't want your cash. He says, take that money, have a night out on the town. He said, I'm going to put you in a brand new car with very low monthly rates and spread it out over a course of five years. And I looked at him like, I thought he was crazy. I said, I don't want a five-year car loan. And then he started getting a little uh, condescending, like he was um, doing me some kind of favor. And this was a really, really, really great deal and that I shouldn't pass it up. But when I left that car dealership, I felt like it was the worst experience I had ever been exposed to. I felt like they were all in cahoots. It was a whole bunch of backdoor dealing going on and that they were gonna share this commission. So needless to say, I walked away not getting the car that I wanted and going to another car dealership. So I know that the discriminatory practices certainly does go on in, in, in the car industry, which is very unfortunate. It is unfortunate, and I'm wondering what we can do about that. So let me give this next question to Q, and that is State Representative Quentin Williams. He prefers to be called Q. So uh, Q, I, I do want to um, want to ask you: the auto industry is historically, historically very effective in creating strong protection around their industry. Can you tell me how they've been able to do that and get away with this discrim these discriminatory practices? Thank you for that question, though. It's, it's a really good question. And the auto industry really has a unique industry within its own. 
So if we went to Starbucks and I bought a cup of coffee and you bought the same exact cup of coffee and we got different prices, we would never allow that in a million years. But this is what is allowed each and every day as we currently do this work. And even as someone I'm a um, formerly, a, I like call myself a recovering banker um, and someone that has significant financial experience. Um, and I, matter of fact, watch uh, your auto advocate um, for fun on YouTube, um, just to see like just how the industry works and how much more information you need in order to be um, an effective consumer. And it's really, really difficult. It's truly difficult. And here are several reasons why. One, essentially in order to sell a cars on a, on a mass level, you need to be an auto, uh, an, you have to have it at a dealership. You can't, it's, it's, you can't do it online. You can't do it um, other ways. It has to go through an auto dealership, which once again creates a, a, sometimes an unnecessary um, middleman that just increases price. But the, it's not even the, the, the price that is, that's one of the problems, but it's really about the lack of transparency is that if I buy this car, I don't know if why my rate is different than yours. If you get the, if you were to buy this car, I don't know why the pricing is different. I don't know why if we're above or below the suggested retail price. I don't know why my price is different than your price. There are so many different factors. And even as Connecticut has a truth and lending statement, it doesn't do um, or doesn't require information about all the power that the, um, the, the uh, retailer has. And that's really what we have to, to look at and research um, and make significant changes um, to have some um, equity and fairness in this process. And is, and is that because of the lobbying effort and the amount of money that they pour into it? I think that, that, would, that would definitely be um, a big part of it. But I, th and I, but I think a lot, I, I like to look at it as, because I'm a former um, advocate or lobbyist myself, um, when that, and that has, they, we, they, they have a significant amount of power, but I do think the, the lack of consumer ability to get together and share their stories about their experience. And I would guess if we went around to all of our friends around the dinner table one day and said, tell me about that great time you had buying a car, it would be a pretty silent dinner. Um, but if we said, there would be about that time that you had a terrible experience buying a car, oh, you would have conversations all night and the beer would be flowing. So I think this is really where um, the rubber hits the road and that we can recognize that there are clear um, activities and behaviors that we can improve on in this process um, that would make it A, fairer to the consumers, but also I think a better experience for the, re um, the retailers at the end of the day. Ruhi, you're an attorney and obviously you're fiery and passionate about this, uh, about this, and I know that from our previous conversations. So, uh, tell me, what can New York and Connecticut do to present um, to prevent these types types of practices? Thank you, thank you for Christine and everyone else for inviting me, and thank you for the professor, and especially for the Black and Latinx folks who are, you know, centering their personal experiences. And I think that's what's changed. We have elected officials in power who have seen this happen, because this has happened to my clients. Predatory lending has been occurring with my clients for 30 years. Uh, you know, I've been a fair housing lawyer, a fair lending lawyer. Why did a fair lending and a fair housing lawyer become a con consumer lawyer uh, for going after auto lending? Because what has happened in New York, where the interest rate is 24.99%, and I know Connecticut's is lower, that dealers make money by making loans that they know aren't going to succeed, that they know are going to, where the cars are going to die. I call, like to call them exploding auto loans, the way we used to call 
mortgage lending, exploding arms. The dealers, when they know, they know right up front that this this car this loan is never going to end up paid off. What is going to happen is that the car is going to die because the loan is way in excess of the value of the car because of the interest rate that is charged. And as we already know, higher interest rates to black and brown communities. And when that loan dies, they'll have to come in and only that dealer will give them another loan, adding on the unpaid balance to the second loan. And the reason, I, as I'm a housing lawyer that is spending so much time on auto lending is because buying a home is the first step to wealth accumulation in black and brown communities. And essentially every time a black or brown working person, a 20 year old or 24 year old who comes from a no or low wealth family goes to get access to any credit, whether they need $100 or $500 or $1,000 for a couch or a computer or 10,000 for a car, they pay five, 10 times. And the product is designed, designed not to increase their wealth, but to extract capital, you know, and that's what's so important. You know, we have so many young black and brown children and we are a majority of young children in New York are now black and brown. And we are making sure that the wealth is extracted from their parents so that they can never break the cycle of poverty. And I'm a mom, right? My kids need, need stuff. I can write a check. Low wealth, black and brown families cannot. And I know you want me to get to this. So what do we need? We need, we, I've been trying to use regulation like prof the professor said with the CFPB, with the Federal Reserve, with all the regulators. Regulation is not gonna cut it. We need state, we need legislation at the state level. We need an interest rate cap, like 16% cap. We need disclosures. You know, and and I'm not gonna go into the details and we need to make sure people that we can go after abusive practices and stop people from exploiting black and brown communities and extracting wealth. Well, thank you. And that leads me into my next question for Chris. And um, Chris, um, can you tell me, are there states that have been effect effective with legislation to stop this type of discrimination? In um, your experience, um, what have you learned there? Well, right now it's it's illegal for an auto dealer to give a different interest rate to a person of color uh, than to uh, an Anglo person, a white person. Uh, uh, Chris, uh, let, Chris, let me let me let me interrupt you and ask you to turn on your video. There you go. Okay, we want to see we want to see your face. Okay, let's start that let's start that question again. What can you tell us? Sure. Um, uh, right now, it's it's legal for an auto dealer to give a different interest rate to a person of color than to a white person with the same credit store. So let, let's start there. Uh, this should be illegal in our state and, and, and every other state. Uh, no states that I'm aware of have uh, effectively stopped discrimination, but a few states have placed a cap on uh, lending mar rate markups. Uh, this definitely would be a good place to start uh, here in Connecticut. Um, it, I'm, I'm having some issues with my camera. I apologize. Yes, I saw I was seeing um, that. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that definitely would be a good place to start here in Connecticut and uh, definitely want to work with my colleagues uh, like Q uh, to, to continue that conversation uh, to, to make sure that we give uh, people of color, just anybody, a fair rate, fair access uh, to, to get a brand new vehicle uh, here in the state of Connecticut. Yes, but how do you stop someone who is selling a product um, from 
trying to make as much money as they can in a capitalistic society. Well, listen, uh, that, that's where that's where folks like us, where we step in. You know, uh, we see uh, an injustice. Uh, we definitely have to uh, work with the with that industry uh, to make sure that they correct those issues. And if not, we have to legislate them. We have the power to do so. Okay, and that leads me. You know, we really are talking about the need for a more educated consumer. I also think um, because you shouldn't walk into any place and see something for ten thousand dollars and think. You know, if they're handing you a payment for four hundred dollars a month, if something should click, that's uh, something is wrong. Um, so I, my next question is for Chuck. Chuck, who is with uh, Consumer Reports, um, is the transparent pricing that comes with these models of like Tesla and Car uh, Carvana? Uh, is that driving dealer opposition to them? I, I think there's a very uh, strong case that it is. Uh, we have a business model for the, the dealerships that has evolved over many years and become deeply institutionalized uh, that involves some high costs for inventory and running a servicing operation. And so in a sense, our, our task as advocates here is trying to turn around a battleship. And it's a battleship that has um, a dealership in every legislator's district, right? So that makes it a bit harder. But we have also, as Professor Ayers has said, a broken market. Uh, we have the dealers acting as brokers for financing, but their incentives are not in aligned with those of the customers. So they're not getting the best rate for the customer. They're often packing in a lot of additional add-on costs like uh, VIN etching and rust proofing and things like that, that are a high cost for the consumer and a dubious value. We at Consumer Reports did um, a big article back in October, why consumers are overpaying for auto loans. We analyzed a pool of uh, 858,000 securitized loans from 17 lenders. And we found that many of the um, interest rates that people were getting were not aligned with their credit worthiness. That actually even people with prime credit were being charged rates of 10 to 25%. Uh, we also had one out of four borrowers paying more than 10% uh, of their income for the car loan. And as Rui was saying, we're concerned that many of these loans are overpriced, they're packed with options, and they're designed to fail, uh, to blow up in the borrower's face uh, when they have to face delinquency and default because underwriting was lax and they, uh, the loan was too aggressively priced. So in that respect, a rate cap uh, could help to keep uh, loans more affordable. I, I endorse the agenda that Professor Ayers laid out. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, also a disruptive business model like direct sales can be of great benefit uh, to consumers uh, and more transparency and fin financing is urgently needed. And we can't sit back when syst systemic racism is going on. When we see in Connecticut, a loan for GMAC was marked up by 279% for black customers and 311% uh, in New York. Uh, that's just not something we can accept. So as, as James Baldwin said, you know, not everything that can, is faced can be changed, but until we face this problem, it will never be changed. We have to confront this squarely and really go to school on how bad this is for borrowers of color, but also just many other borrowers that dealers think are unsophisticated and are not gonna read the terms of the loan and realize they're being overcharged by thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, we still have a few minutes here, so I want to go back to a question um, for Deborah. And Deborah, can you tell me, do you know of anything that has been done by federal and state and local government um, to address these uh, problems and prevent um, discrimination by auto dealers? To your knowledge, has anything been done? And your, your audio is off. 
Okay. There we go. Okay, I'm not aware of anything that has been done, but I, I feel very confident that it is something that's being looked into. But I would just like to say that I think that you hit the nail right on the head. It needs to be some kind of education around uh, these type of practices in communities of color so that they will know what to look for and to whenever there is some type of a red flag, um, because if they're not aware, they will think that it's just business as usual. Um, and okay. No, go ahead. Don't let me interrupt you. We still have a few so, more minutes. You know, that's something that I feel very, very certain about is that, you know, getting out in, in, in the communities, taking a grassroots approach and just providing the education and all the, all the information as to what they should be looking for. And it's Can and add on again, question? Sure, sure. Because what I like to say in the legislative work is that my favorite word is and. And oftentimes we try to have a solution that is either consumer-based or um, on the, the, the retail base. And this is a solution that needs to be about both. And the, the key word is and. So we need to have uh, more consumer uh, protection and more consumer information, making sure that they understand the process, making sure that we put financial literacy um, opportunities in, in our communities, whether at community centers or through churches um, or through many of the other community assets to make sure that they understand length of time, APR, credit scores, all those sort of things so that you can go um, into this experience upfront, informed, and be the real um, driver of the conversation, particularly going to your lender beforehand, whether it's your local bank or your local community, um, your credit union. If you go in with knowing what your rate is, it makes a significantly different experience. And right now, I think a lot of our um, consumers and buyers don't know that. So I think that's one of the, the first things that we can do is help empower our consumers and residents. I think the second side is um, we do, and like in Connecticut, we do have a, a truth and lending statement, which is a right step. I think the second part about that is, is making sure that the um, lenders can provide um, more information about why the rate has increased. So for instance, if they're 1% they're or 2% increase um, from the lender that they actually got the, the, the lending from, from the bank, why is that justified? And I think that's the part that we need to be able to understand, particularly so we can understand um, if there are disparities between race, gender, um, economics, so on and so forth, we need to make sure there's no discrimination, but right now there's no justification for why the rates are there. And that's why we can't make informed decisions as legislators. Makes sense. So we have some, we've had some good information from our panelists here today. And we also have some questions um, that have come in um, to us. So we're gonna get right to those questions and hopefully we can give them some answers. Uh, let's see here from Michelle, um, work with your bank, no, okay, that's a, that's a comment. Here's the question. Um, what is best, and this is from Alex um, Soul, I uh, believe from um, Hearst, Connecticut, and what is the best channel for consumers today who feel they may have been subjected to discriminatory sales practices? Is, would it be the Department of Consumer Protection, courts, or something else? Is there any model legi legislation that is being promoted right now in Connecticut, New York, or other states? And I'll leave that question for, uh, let's go to Chuck with that question. Can you answer that question, Chuck? 
You know, one possibility would be for state banking departments uh, to license uh, car dealerships as financial services providers. And we do have a bill uh, to uh, create that in uh, New York State. And if that uh, existed, that would cr create additional avenues for customers to uh, raise complaints with state regulators and could also bring some more um, rationality and oversight to a, a market where uh, discriminatory markups are rampant. Okay, we have another question from John Moritz with Hearst Connecticut Media Group. And his question is, how the current legislation related to direct EV sales that is proposed in the House would address the possibility of discrimination by retailers for companies such as Tesla, Rivian, etc., even if their prices are set and non-negotiable is there a concern that their customers could face discrimination in other ways? And let's give that question to Christopher. Sure, I, my, my question, my response to that, uh, especially I've never experienced buying a, a, an EV or having a direct sales experience. And I have um, had an experience going to a dealer to buy a vehicle. Um, but from those folks that have, uh, gone through that experience of buying a, a, an electric vehicle or, or through a direct sales model, it, it takes away that anxiety and that stigma of going to a dealership and dealing with the, you know, the finance folks and um, maybe going to a showroom and, and, and feeling discriminated. Um, so I, I think that might be a, a, an option, um, a, a reason why, uh, but definitely there, there is definitely room for improvement um, uh, on, on, all, on all fronts. It's about competition and choice. Um, so having the choice to go to whether direct or go through a retailer that sets one set price or being able to negotiate, having that choice and that consumer power is going to drive the competition to making sure that the lowest price is there, also increasing service. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is without that choice, we can't drive the competition. And that's why we see the vast disparities in the process. Yeah, um, I have one final question and this comes from Michelle. And she says, I hear lots of what should happen, but legislation is notoriously slow. And we know that that's, that's a true statement. So what should a consumer do? Walking into a car dealership today, what should they be aware of and what power do they have um, as a consumer in purchasing a vehicle? And I'll leave that question this for anyone who wants to answer. I'll tell you what we're doing in New York, because as okay. Chuck said in the chat, um, only 20% of folks are going to their bank to get direct to, to get to borrow the money directly from the bank or credit union. And that's that's going to be very, very hard to turn around. One of the things that we're doing, and the problem is banks don't do direct auto lending. They do it through the dealerships where, where the dealerships then rip people off and banks do not want to serve people with BCD credit. And that's got to change. You cannot say, I will only lend to you if you have perfect credit and your family came over on the Mayflower and that if you came across in a slave ship, you still get to be discriminated against. We do not do that anymore. I mean, I'm saying we should not do that anymore. We have to stop doing that. We have to own up to the legacy of Jim Crow and redlining. We can't just pretend that everything is just fine. So, and until we do that, until we take ownership of calling out genocide and slavery and recognizing how a child born yesterday is still hurt by what happened to his ancestors, 
we have to take that into account. And I am, I will start, I've been doing work, for lending work for 30 years, and I've been doing auto lending work for at least 10 plus. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we will sit across from the banks and we will say, you need to stop, you, you are, you want to make black loans to black and brown people so they can beca become homeowners. You need to make loans to black and brown people to buy a car, because if you are not doing that, you're destroying their hope of homeownership for 20 years, because with a 24.99% cap in New York, you know, we are destroying people's credit. We are destroying people's lives. And I really look forward, you know, we're working with the New York Attorney General's office. I really look forward to sharing some of these stories. And, and, so, and Marie, I know, and I know that stop. you do. You Thank are, you. You, are, you are so fiery and so passionate about this. It's hard, it's hard to shut you down, but we are out of time here uh, with questions and so forth. You've been a great panel. You've really um, given us um, a lot of um, pertinent information that we can certainly use. I know that there are other questions that um, are in my queue to be asked. So for those of you who still have questions um, in New York, for questions for the New York press, um, I'm going to ask you to contact Christine Lee at, and I'll spell the email address, C-L-E-E -E at kivit.com. Again, that is C-L-E-E -E at kivit, K-I-V, vit.com. That is for the New York Press questions. And for Connecticut, for Connecticut Press, we ask you to contact Adam Wood at adam.wood at cityandstatepublicaffairs.com. Adam.wood at cityandstatepublicaffairs.com. And we certainly thank everyone for joining us today and sharing your information um, to us. And um, hopefully, um, between um, webinars like this, conversations like this, uh, we can um, really make a dent in um, helping people get fair loans uh, based on uh, credit. So thank you very much for joining us and you folks have you. a good day. And again, Quinn, uh, Q and Christopher, really thanks because I know that the legislature is in, is in session. So you guys, I, I know you're really happy. So thank you very much. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real People. If you would like to be on the show, if you have an idea for the show, give us a call at 203-605-1859 or drop us an email at realtalkrealpeoplect at gmail.com. You folks have a good week and we'll talk again. Bye.